And I don't know if I'm ready to step into that space, but by saying no to this granular, tasky type job, which I failed at repeatedly, I finally said, I'm done being bad at this. I'm done signing up for things that are growth experiences that I suck at. I am not a sprinter. I'm going to stop signing up for sprints and hoping that someday I'll be good at sprints. And I think it just was literally the tipping point for me was getting beat down repeatedly. Mm. If that makes sense, but I had to do it in order to give up and to say, wait a second, this is such a crap use of my energy. Like, I'm criticized for these things and I'm disappointing people and I'm loved and I'm inspiring people over here. Why am I signing up to be criticized and why am I signing up to dis- be a disappointment? I'm, and I think it actually maybe took a bit of self-esteem. I really had to learn how to love myself and what that felt like and to have confidence that I have value if I'm not producing or that I have value if I hire a house cleaner or that I have value if I'm not busy and feel what that felt like to know that I need to shift into those things that feel good because I am allowed. I don't have to do anything to be allowed to feel good. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Class is in session, about to learn a lesson in the game. We embrace the pain, take it and we make some change. Without scarcity, I don't know where I'll be. It's how we learn and now it's your turn. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Super grateful to have you here listening today. Hope you guys are staying happy and safe and healthy, all that good stuff. If you're new here, welcome to the family. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. My next guest is another featured member from the Aubrey Marcus Fit for Service Mastermind of the year that I'm in this year that you guys know of by now. I'm featuring one of them per week for the duration of the program, which is absolutely incredible. And what I'm really learning is just how amazing these humans are. (laughs) And I get to connect with them. We have different groups. We have different conversations. And I'm just learning so much from these people. And I'm just so blessed. And my next guest, Claire Spencer, just she's an amazing human, just such a bright light. And she stepped up in more of a leadership role and... It's really great to see because she is awesome. You're going to love this conversation because we dive into a lot of different things. And she's she's got great a great perspective and great insight. And really, I really, really personally enjoyed this. I know you guys will too. A little bit about her is she's an artist. She's a community manager and a deeply insightful advisor. And I highly suggest you guys check out her Instagram feed because her Instagram feed explores the art of aging end of the body in the world. Super interesting. She's been posting these different daily pictures of herself in these different ways and it's really, really cool. So I highly suggest go follow her, go follow Claire on Instagram after this. But she's just like most of us, she's on the path of figuring out the next step in her life and what this amazing journey will bring. You know, a lot of us are going through the transition period of figuring out like what lights our soul on fire, what's the next move, where to go. And it's a beautiful thing, right? And Claire is going through that right now and it's just awesome to see. And it's great It's great to be able to follow your truth. Great to be able to go with what lights you on fire. And she talks about this in the interview. So I highly suggest you guys keep your eyes peeled 
for what she's up to because she's doing big things and I know it's going to be epic because of the kind of person she is, because of the well-rounded knowledge that she has and because of her genuine curiosity about life. So you guys stick through this till the end. If you haven't subscribed already, make sure you smash that subscribe button on Apple. It's free so that you stay on top of all the episodes. And at the end, if you got value from this, leave us a review. Tag us in a, in a story on Instagram. Love seeing that. Let us know your takeaway. Love you guys. Sit back, relax. Claire Spencer coming right up. Let's do it. Claire, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing so great. <laughs> it's so great to talk with you. You too. I'm so excited. Um, Me too. We're talking about when we get on camera that we have to like, you know, put on our shirt and get looking ready for camera. <laughs> you look great, by the way. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and when we were saying this will be on YouTube at some point once we get all the episodes up. But yeah, I know it's funny these days with like the style. It's like some of the, like we were talking about, some of the styles you see, it's like a 90s grunge band is back. It's like totally. the big jeans and the, the belts and the, the Nirvana t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen any parachute pants but I feel like the modern version of like what used to be those parachute pants and a crop top is now people wear like giant sweatpants. Like in the, in like the sphere of hot women Instagrammers, there's like a lot of them that just wear sweatpants, like big nasty sweatpants and a crop top. And it's it's growing on me. They do it on purpose. It's cute. So it's, yeah. So anyways, sexy jammies. I, it's so good. And I'm so excited to have you here. Obviously, you're one of the amazing members of the Fit for Service crew that I'm featuring on here, which is so exciting because everybody that I've had on here is like, their fucking stories just blow my mind. And the the quality of human that I get to connect with in this group and on the show is just so amazing. I'm so grateful. So I'm super excited to dive into your story today because I know you're powerful. I know you got it. So what, first of all, What's going on with you right now? How's everything going? Where are you at? And how's this affected you so far with this craziness that's happening? You know, it's super interesting because I'm in a really blessed place where it's not affecting me at all, really. In, or it's not impacting me negatively. I quit my job in October because I realized that I had resources, which is really lucky. But if I didn't spend tons of money, I had resources where I didn't have to work for almost a year. And I had been through a divorce and during that period I was so scared I was like the stay-at-home mom and I was so scared that I wouldn't be able to support myself during that period that I basically just was you know I took like a fear job and it was interesting but it was definitely a fear job and it took me almost a year and a half to two years after that separation to get a clear energetic perspective on the fact that um, I didn't have to have that job and not only that but taking a job where I was in a fear state and I had given away my power again um, was really holding me back from doing sort of the personal work that I needed to do. It's a bit like I was kind of raised in New England. So I thought that you, you always work just to be safe. And I realized that staying in that safety mode was keeping me in a fear state and the fear state was preventing my growth. So if I ever wanted to not have a fear job, I had to quit and just kind of take that leap anyways. So that was in October and I have not, I've picked up funny gigs here and there, 
but I haven't had like a job job in the traditional sense since then. And I've really been sitting and focusing on what I want to do. And this COVID situation has just intensified that commitment that I made. And in some ways, it's really funny because um, when I would, med- I would go on these long meditative walks once a week. And every time I would say like, okay, what's my next move? What's the next step? And the message was always like, stop. Your next step is to slow down and to stop and to relax and stop trying to be a doer and thinking that you're going to rescue yourself by scattering your energy and doing all the things. So that's what October, November, December, like till March, that's like five months of getting the same message. And then in um, early February or early March or late February, my car was stolen out of my driveway. That's right. Right. And I was like, oh God, this is what a pain in the butt. So I called one of my spiritual friends and I was joking around. I was like, all right, so what's the message behind this? My car got stolen. And he said, the message is slow down. I was like, oh gosh, darn it. Like, oh shit. And then, and then COVID comes along. So, okay. Like I, I, I don't believe that, you know, the universe is, I'm not that narcissistic to think that it's all about me, but I feel like <laughs> that's been a message for a lot of people. And with respect, you know, being mindful that there are people that are really suffering and it's horrible. I do think that a lot of us needed to really look at what was necessary, the ways that we think we're, how should I put this? I don't believe as a culture that we're accustomed to believing in our own value unless we're busy. So we create tasks to prove our value that aren't necessary. So I think that there's a lot of people that make busy work to appear like they're working so that they feel like they have value. And that at least resonates for me also. So I've had to really say, okay, it feels good to feel busy because I feel important, but why do I have to feel busy to feel important? And now I can't be busy. I can't go like I, even though I was not working, I was going to classes and I was running groups and I was checking emails and I was doing meditation. And I had a friend come visit. He's like, you don't have time for a job. You're too busy. Um, so like not, being allowed to go out to a dinner date and not being allowed to go do breath work and not being allowed to go to a seminar has um, ultimately been very beneficial. So like my life has changed because of COVID, but I'm not going through these dramatic upheavals. I'm kind of getting squished to not change it. I don't know if this makes sense. Changing by not changing. I can't go out and run away and do all the things and have a job. I've got to sit here. I've got to think about it and really, being still makes me notice all of the ways that I was scattered before that I couldn't see until I was not allowed to do them. It's such a valid point. It's so true because I think a lot of people's lives are just based on being busy and just covering up their shit with stuff, right? A lot of jobs, I'm really busy and it's validation from your friends or your your acquaintances. Like, I'm just super busy. I got to go do this. I got to do that. And it's like this, like, it's like this, well, bull- important. this bullshit yes. story. It's kind of like the same thing. Why people go into university or courses when they don't really want to, just so they can have a conversation to tell their uncle or their aunt that they're doing something. People want to be, people want to be known as doing stuff because if you're not, you're considered lazy. Right. Yeah. And we develop this habit over, over time. And I think it's so crazy too, because how many people families, parents actually spend time together, right? Like there's this little piece. Family is like, they, everyone says family's number one, but a lot of people don't mean it. A lot of people don't spend a lot of time with their family. You know, people are working. 
So it's interesting now because, you know, a lot of these marriages are getting tested. It's like these people are actually having to see, is my family the number one? Because I'm here now all the time, right? And now it's the chance to really, really embrace that and get in that. And I think that's, that's got to be challenging for some people because they've been able to hide for so long with their jobs and their activities. It's like, okay, well, you got to stay home now. You got you to gotta face this stuff. Because having, a, like, I can't imagine having a bunch of kids at home and stuff. And it's, it's crazy. Like I'm by myself and I drive myself nuts sometimes. So it's like, it's really, it's a really interesting time, you know, like how, what do you see that happening? Like, what do you see happening to people's relationships? And, you know, what have you experienced from friends and, and even in your own life with that stuff? Like really being around a lot more of that, you know, as you would be not as much as normally. Yeah. Well, I think there's two things that I'd love to talk about. So one is on a personal level, I have a five-year-old that I have custody of half of the time. And the other piece that I want to talk about is this idea that people don't actually want to be with their families. And I think that um, what I would frame it as is that we don't know how. Mm. We, I know a lot of people really do love their families, but they don't, it's almost goes back to that same confidence of like, can I be, am I worthy of love if I'm not doing? Mm -hmm. So am I worthy of love as your father, if I'm not going to work and creating money? A lot of men identify with being the provider as being worthy of value. Mm -hmm. So it's less, the family dynamics are just a mirror in many cases of our own feelings about ourselves. So can you believe like as the father, there's a lot of fathers that are bristling, but they've lost their identity as the provider mm. and they don't really know how to feel like they have value in the family because maybe they're not used to taking care of the kids. So they really do desperately want to have that relationship, but you're faced with sort of your own, um, the fact that you haven't done it, that you don't know what you're doing. So not only are you not the provider, but you're like kind of a crap dad because you just haven't had the time or put the energy in because you've been distracting yourself. So I think that there are a lot of relationships that are suffering, but I think it's mostly because we're all faced with our relationship with ourselves and how much, how we create, how we feel we have value. So um, I know that for me, I was pretty concerned as a mother of like, oh gosh, if my daughter doesn't have a calendar with colors and a structured playtime. I mean, she's in preschool. She's not even kindergarten. And I was like, Ugh, do I have to do these classes? Am I a bad person? Am I not worthy of having a child? Am I not a good mother if I don't do all of these things? And so it took me probably a good month to say, and am I a good mother if I don't take this time to lean in and give her all my attention, which would be nice, but it's really freaking tiring. Mm -hmm. Like, Kids are exhausting. They're so wonderful. But to put like a full focus of attention on any one person for that extended period is also not natural. Like the natural thing is to do some intense one-on-one -on -one work, but also just to spend time in parallel play. So it took me a solid month to ease into. I have like, I call it a quarantine. So I have another mother with who's a single mother and our daughters play together. Yeah. And once I allowed myself that like luxury of feeling like I don't have to provide everything for her. I will go, she'll play, she'll learn, she'll be fine. She's, there's nothing that she's going to miss in the next three months in terms of academia that she can't make up next year or the year after. 
and that every single child in her age group is also not going to be experiencing. It's not like she's behind everybody else. They're all behind. If, you know, if any of them are ahead, they're all ahead. If any are behind, they're all behind because they're all not allowed to go to school. So for me, my relationship with my daughter changed a lot when I was able to relax and stop worrying about if I was good enough. And then she felt that and she's easy and playful because I'm not putting my own lack of confidence onto her of saying, you have to behave, you have to complete your homework, which is in a way saying, if you're not this way, then I'm not good. So you are responsible, you poor little five-year-old child for managing my self-esteem. So I think there's a lot of dynamic things that are at play that way where our own experience of wondering if we're good enough or like worthy of love when we're not producing or not, you know, creating a specific environment that's coming up and it's bleeding out into our relationships with other people, but it all comes back to the self. So true. That's such a great way to frame it because I think everybody has the best intentions. It's just, we, people just forget and just get lost in it all. Right. And yeah, you get the validation and as a provider, especially, you know, men, men have to go and make the money or they have this sort of, they have to do something. They have to be like this. And if that's taken away, then it's, it's challenging. It's challenging them. So it's not necessarily a bad thing because I think it's going to allow a lot of people to slow down. Like a lot of people to reflect. Right. And, and I've said this too, to people and I think it's a great time if you feel called to put the foot on the gas and really build your business and take off now, now's a good time. But if it's also, you've been, you've been hustling nonstop and you, you know, you just don't even know what's going on anymore. Your, your adrenals are fried, all this kind of stuff. Well, now's the time for you to sit back and, and reflect a little bit. I think it's a beautiful time for that. And I just, I don't like the pressure sometimes in society. It's like, well, if you don't come out with this, this, this after the quarantine, the side hustle or whatever, you, you're lazy or you don't lack. You're lazy. I don't, I don't like because everybody is different. And maybe this is the time for people to get creative. And like, even in our group, everyone's doing arts and, and people are exploring their, their, their artistic side, you know, through music or painting or poetry. Or creative dance. Creative dance. Like that shit is so important. And if you hone in on that stuff and take a little bit of a break, you're only going to be better at your craft or your job or what you do to make money. You're only going to be more well-rounded as a human when you explore those kind of things, you know, and the balance, the masculine, and the feminine. And for me, I've really learned that for so long, I was always, you know, over on the masculine side always doing that stuff and didn't explore enough of the feminine side, like the yogas and the meditations and having that has really helped me and, and having stuff like journaling, like talking about poetry, like stuff I would never have thought about. And, and this is why it's so exciting is because a lot of people are, they actually have the time to say, huh, what do I actually enjoy doing? Like, what do I like doing with my time? Right. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting that way, seeing people explore that. For sure. I have a friend who's like a, a very assertive businessman and he's shifted, you know, he's like in it, he's shifting. He's so excited. And one of his friends, you know, he's has this um, really lovely camper. He's like, someday I'll go like take my family and we'll go out into the woods and we'll have an amazing time. And he just got it in the past couple of months. And a dear friend looked at him 
and and said so you're gonna go on the camper now like it's cut, shut down this is the perfect time to like run away and have a vacation it's like no i can't and the guy said if you can't go on vacation for two weeks now you're never gonna do it like you will <laughs> never do it so he did yeah. but i think that that's like that really good point of if a time to sit down is like an opportunity if you find that you're leaning even more into chaos it's a it's a it's a this is gonna be a lot of it's ums on the recording i'm realizing but it's like what really what are your priorities yeah. if you can be still and really think about what you really want this is that moment i know some people who thrive and receive energy from like going on job hunts and creating new things and that's really exciting for them and i also know some people who said you know what i have two months of unemployment and i may not have this time again so I'm going to make sure that I sit still and I connect while I have a minute because we're such a work driven culture. Two weeks of vacation a year is pretty preposterous for knowing yourself and handling your, your, you know, your community and your family. That's such a short time. You know, when I lived in Australia, you could, we got four or five weeks. It's, it it's, seems it's, really bananas to me. Like I had, I was living there five years. I was in management for a bar and a hotel and i got five weeks and then i came back to canada and I, we're the same you get two weeks it's like i forgot because i got used to having that much time that two weeks yeah. is not enough time for people just on the big scale so now it's, yeah it's like don't resist this if you need your if you need to turn this into a yeah. vacation, you want more vacation do it you got it do it right i mean yeah, it's it's super interesting and to see where this goes because there's going to be a lot of people who create massive success from this time. Just like in 2008, I've talked to a lot of people and and on 2008 was a huge time for them. They lost everything and now they're killing it. So, yeah, my ex-husband made almost all of his, you know, first business money in 2008 by being creative and dogged. Yeah. So, there's always opportunity for money when there are dramatic shifts, if you can like stay steady and be focused. I think another interesting possibility, hopefully it will come out, is um, I think that part of our busyness culture is rooted in sort of this corporate expectation of productivity. So we don't get paid by our ability to execute, but we get paid by our hours. So we're often sitting in a job that may take us 20 hours, but we have to make it look like it's worth our time. So we stew it in 40 hours. And we haven't really adjusted to this idea that, you know what, if you can pay somebody for 20 hours in a job that would take somebody else 40 hours, like pay them more to work 20 wow. hours, right? So there is, there's in, we're incentivized to create work for ourselves and to create more problems because it is work and we get paid for work. We don't get create like paid for productivity we don't get pre um paid for creative solutions um i hope but i'm not sure but i hope that some businesses are starting to see that people can work from home and still create tremendous value without having to like be next to the boss and be under scrutiny and that that also maybe frees up the boss to do more productive creative things and we can shift away from an economy that's based on labor hours which is super limited and into creativity and innovation which is really unlimited in what you can accomplish it's yeah. not how we're paid at the moment no it's not i i think that's going to be a, a huge thing as well as 
is the the things that we were told that do, don't make money growing up, like do something that makes money. How many kids are told that? Don't do that. It doesn't make any money. I know I was, right? And how many- I didn't that, go to art school for a reason. That's going to be broke. See, that's such, it's right? so messed up. But yeah. who, what, this is the thing. This is the thing where people go wrong. It's like, yeah, well, you may not specifically make millions from that thing, but you're doing the thing that, you, that lights you up. So you may meet a person that takes you to a different thing. And then you may, you know, you, you're going to, and that's going to, if you keep following that, that thing in your soul, like that lights you up, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the, that specific one that's going to get you the success, but it'll lead you on the path to the right way. But if you completely shut that off, it's like, what is the point? Like, what are you doing? And that's how much, that's how we're so conditioned. And now I really think that's going to get flipped. I really think that people's gifts that they're actually good at, their arts and their, whatever lights them up is going to be the thing that people want. People, people can create success from, right? And if you're doing, there's just no, there's no way around it. If you're doing something you don't enjoy, you're, you're, you're not going to, give off an, a, a, an energy that you're not going to meet the right people. You're always going to be unhappy. And I think we've all experienced that at some point where we're doing something for the wrong reasons. And that after a while, that, that shows up in so many different ways in your life that can affect you. Yeah. There's, I believe it's Naval Ravikant, um, an episode with him and Tim Ferriss. And he talks about how if you want to prepare your children for the future, they don't need to remember anything that's Googleable. And they should learn how to be creative and have critical thinking skills instead of like memorization. Because anything that's Googleable and anything that's repeatable via a software eventually will be taken over by machines. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that we really have to ensure our safety is our creativity because the rest is duplicable easily. But I think that something else that comes to mind as you talk about that is the idea that our parents and their parents, they gave us the best possible strategy that they knew. Yeah. Right? But their strategy is for their time. They said, oh, like in retrospect, in 1950, this would have been a really good strategy. That's not a good strategy for 2018. Mm -hmm. And it's with love. But so we are still coming off world wars. We're coming yeah. off a Great Depression. That's one or two or, you know, two generations ago. That was my grandparents. Maybe some people, their great grandparents. but altering that legacy to shift into a new paradigm is really challenging because their parents love us. They want to protect us. Even if they don't love us, even if they have their own trauma, they, there's still this influence of what they learned in trying to pass on information. But let's say best case scenario, your parents love you. They're going to tell you like, don't make the mistakes I made. Here's how to be safe. And the, what's safe in the 90s is not the same thing as what's safe right now. So I think that whenever we look at those models and advice, we have to take into account that that's a model that would have been very successful a couple decades ago. And so like we talk about like, oh, don't live in fear. Um, and it's not that it's a bad place. It's just not a good strategy for where we are right now. That's such a great point. That's such a great point. And everybody just did their best with what they had. Their parent, my parents, your parents, and the school system was built for a different, a different era too. Like, I, yeah, I think that the school system hopefully will have a big shakeup. It's really fascinating because they're starting. It's at this point, it's a liability. 
yeah. to have the school be run the way it was in these giant groups. And I'm seeing, you know, these homeschool or these small group learning things pop up. And um, I do think that mass education is hugely important for the country because I think everybody, you know, educating all people, especially in all walks of life and all income levels is to our benefit. Like that's absolutely a good example of a government program that I think is like non-negotiable in terms of the benefit to society. However, I also think that it's, you know, one size fits all model is clearly outdated and um, smaller groups and more flexibility within school districts will, can have a huge impact. And just as a side note, I used to be, I worked very briefly for a school food reform nonprofit. So it was really fascinating during that period to see quite how entangled, at least in the United States, schools are by legal mandates and laws that are meant to protect children, but that actually work against it because they're inflexible. So like in the school, in the school food program, it was that lunches have to have a very specific makeup of macronutrients which meant that they weren't allowed to flow with the seasons. They weren't allowed to flow with like natural ebb and flow of nature. They had to be really prescribed. So they were being fed very unnatural food products in order to meet these qualifications that were put in place to make sure that they were getting nutritious food. So there's quite a bit of that in our education system and also based around truancy and showing up and standards. And um, hopefully this gives us a chance to look at what that means and what the not just the intention of these regulations we have in our schools, but also what the impact is. And if that is, if it matches. Yeah. I think the problem, what I went through was that, so I'm 36. How old are you? 40. Okay. So around the same, so I'm 83. So you'd be what? 79. 70. Okay. Perfect. So same sort of, you may have been in like my high school. That would have been the. the, I would have been the senior. Yeah. Just to get perspective. So, when I was growing up, it was about getting, because the baby boomers were retiring from all the trades, that's all they would, I was an athlete, I was a hockey player, so like that was my path, but everybody talked about getting a trade. There's a demand, all the baby boomers retiring, get a trade, get a trade, get a trade. And as great as that is, a lot of my friends did it. I had no interest in that. I tried it out and I hated it. I hated not having people around. I hated, I tried it once hockey ended. But the thing is, is that where I see the system failing is that it shouldn't, you shouldn't encourage, this is just my opinion, kids to go somewhere that's just in demand. It should be really like, well, what are you good at? What do you really enjoy? And have this certain, yeah, absolutely learn the general, learn life skills. But a lot of the life skills we didn't learn anyway. We had to learn once we uh, got our ass handed to us in the real world once school ended, but like kind of figure out like, what is this unique, what is this little unique gift here? Like, what does this kid have? Like, what, what, what can we extract? How can we help them pull that out of them? And then, you know, and then really light them up where they're excited to go to school. And there was always those teachers where they, that you like that you excited to go to school with, right? Like I remember I had a history teacher and he talked about world wars and and I was like, it was like the most exciting thing. And I'd be sad when the class was over. But then someone else would teach the same material. And I, I just, I was like, this is terrible. So it's like, it's really finding out. And I think the teachers need to get more curious about the kids on like, who are these people? Who, how can we really pull this out? And then, you know, as they go, they start to figure out like, 
they gravitate towards things that they actually go and they can really double down on their skills while learning other things. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I just, I feel like these kids get steered just to do things because, and I'd really love to see more of like, well, what do you, what do you like little Timmy? You know, what do you really enjoy doing? Let's work on that. And if that changes, that's okay. You're going to change and that's all right. Don't beat yourself up because the world's going to kick your ass. So it's, you just, as long as you're doing things that, that you enjoy, you'll learn, right? Yeah. You're bringing me back to what you talked about originally a bit of like following that lead. And I do think that thinking back on it, the thing that has served me the most recently and that probably would have served me the best in general in my life is learning and trusting that if I'm excited about something, it'll work out okay, even if I don't know how it's going to end. And practicing following that spark. I spent a lot of my life in my education fixing the things that I'm not good at. So I have an economics degree. I have a master's in business. Wow. I don't love either of those. I really love like art and I love psychology, but I felt like, well, these, I really suck at this. So I'll just get a master's and then maybe I'll be better. But the truth is it doesn't really help because I'm not interested in it. I was just trying to fix a perceived part of myself that I thought, you know, maybe the degree will make me be better because I'm not like good enough. It's not good enough to just be great at art and like understanding people. You have to like be a whole person. And, um, I think that was like a really nice 15 year distraction from things that I care about. And I'm don't regret it, but it was, I wish I could have made a maybe slightly less difficult path for myself. If I had just said, okay, Claire, you're not going to run your business and you're going to hire housekeepers and you're going to hire an accountant and go find a way to find, to like make money so that you can be really happy and you can produce and you can bring your magic to the world. And instead of, Focusing so much on feeling like I was an imperfect person and I was trying to fix myself, focus on my own personal genius and the things that I really shine at and become an expert at those things. Hmm. What, what made you have that self-awareness? Like where was, the, where was the turning point for you? Because you're, you know, you're going, you're doing, like that's amazing though that you accomplished that by the way. Like that's something to just be proud of in general. Like that's a great accomplishment, right? But if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. But like when was, when, when did that shift for you? Was it during it? Did you have that pull or were you like, no, that's it? And like what made you kind of separate the two? What was the turning point? You mean between pursuing love and pursuing what I think I should do to be a whole person? Yeah, like what, when were you like, Is that that's the question? A, when, yeah. when, when have I had enough of doing the thing that doesn't light me up? Oh, I failed really badly over and over again. I just failed. Like, and I don't mean like dramatic fail, but like I went, so I, I went to business school in 2009 because I had been working on a business. It was funny. I was dating a guy. He was really terrible, but I was in business. You know, we were like working on a business together and about six months in, I was like, Oh, wait a second. I love business. I don't love you. You're really terrible. Well, that turned me on to business. And I went to business school. Um, because I said, this is something that I think is so interesting and creative and I'd like to be better at it and not make sort of rookie mistakes. But I was never particularly interested in, you know, getting hired by a giant corporation to do analyses or do PR or be in that structure. It doesn't work so well for me. So I took that business degree 
and I would work for smaller businesses and there's a whole side path on codependency, but I really love to work as a fixer for smaller businesses and for disaster minded people. And I think the last official job that I had before I got married exploded because I, it was like pretty volatile work environment and very inconsistent. And, um, I wanted to, you know, make things better, but I had no power and I kept signing up for that. And then the last job that I had in October was not volatile, but it was a situation where I was, I pitched myself as um, a marketing person and I ended up doing a lot of kind of dull tasks that were not what I wanted to do and not what I had come in hoping to do, but that I felt obligated to do. So it was for me saying, okay, this working for other people, doing this over and over again, it's not working. Like it just, it's literally not working. Mm. You work with nice people, you work with crazy people and you keep trying to be better at bookkeeping and data and analyses. And in the meantime, I was getting, you know, like friends going through divorce saying, why aren't you a therapist? Why aren't you a coach? Why aren't you this? This is so amazing. You're worth like, you're, you're better than my therapist, whatever the language was. So, um, that was really scary to me because there wasn't a plan. It wasn't a structure. It wasn't a, something that I had really understood or seen other people do successfully. I know a lot of struggling coaches. I don't know a lot of coaches that are like, this is great. This is how you build your business. It's super fun. So it just was really scary to me. And I don't know if I'm ready to step into that space, but by saying no to this granular tasky type job, which I failed at repeatedly, I finally said, I'm done being bad at this. I'm done signing up for things that are growth experiences that I suck at. I am not a sprinter. I'm going to stop signing up for sprints and hoping that someday I'll be good at sprints. And I think it just was literally the tipping point for me was getting beat down repeatedly. Mm. If that makes sense, but I had to do it in order to give up and to say, wait a second, this is such a crap use of my energy. Like I'm criticized for these things. And I'm disappointing people and I'm loved and I'm inspiring people over here. Why am I signing up to be criticized? And why am I signing up to dis- be a disappointment? I'm, and I think it actually maybe took a bit of self-esteem. I really had to learn how to love myself and what that felt like and to have confidence that I have value if I'm not producing or that I have value if I hire a house cleaner or that I have value if I'm not busy and feel what that felt like to know that I need to shift into those things that feel good because I am allowed, I don't have to do anything to be allowed to feel good. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have to produce anything. I don't have to fix myself. I'm entitled to pursue the things that bring me joy just by existing as a human. And I really didn't understand that for a long time. Mm. What about growing up? Like what was, what was something, a challenge you went through that had the biggest impact on your life now? Like as a little kid? Yeah, like what, stand, what stands out for you, whether it be in growing up as a kid, as a teenager, that something you went through that was like, wow, that, that impacted me a lot. And I learned from that. And that really shaped or, or took me on a direction that led me somewhere. Or it doesn't even mean late teens, whatever. Is there something that stands out to so you? I think what stands out to me is more... I think I had like the dramatic shifts like later in my Mm -hmm. life. The aha moments for me really came later. What I notice is, um, you know, my parents are really lovely. Like I don't come 
from like, some terrible background where I was like beaten. But what I did know is, you know, my father was in, he was getting his PhD and he was writing his dissertation. He had three kids under the age of five and we're all living on a student assistant ship salary. Wow. So there was, it was stressful and there's quite a bit of chaos. Even when there's love, there's chaos. That's an intense experience. And so as the oldest child and as a pretty sensitive child, I started to notice that I could influence my parents' feelings and manage them. Um, and when you're a kid, you think you're the center of the universe. So instead of realizing that I could manipulate them, I thought I, I, I volunteered as my soul's path to be responsible for their feelings. So that really set me up for a very codependent, martyr-like way of understanding the world. So for quite a long time, and I think it really blossomed in my teenagerhood, I was attracted to um, chaotic people mm. because I, one, was distracted from myself. Two, I loved their broad emotional expression because I myself struggled with that. I didn't feel like I could do it because it was too risky to the family unit. Like if I cry and my little brother's crying and my little sister crying, then my mom's probably going to cry. And that was like the most terrifying. It would have been fine if she cried. But for me as a little kid, like that's a horrible thing. Like you can't let mom cry because if mom's sad, then the world is going to end. It was like these very subtle wirings. And then it kind of sent me on a 15 year path of myself working for people who are volatile or inconsistent. And maybe I created that volatility and inconsistency with my codependency. I'll, I'll be the first to say that I, I contributed deeply. And dating people with addictions, with terrible childhoods, and trying to be that feeling so good as the stable state, I bring calm and peace in this relationship. And because that's my job, as long as I can do that, I have value. Mm. Um, I was really attracted to chaos, right? Because it felt good to me. It's like, oh, I know what my job is and I'm really good at it. So even though I don't want to live in chaos, I do love to feel like I'm doing a good job. Mm. So repeatedly saying, and then I would go, wait a second, how did I end up in this chaos? This is terrible. You change to the person that I knew was chaotic, that I voluntarily loved because they were chaotic, because the chaos made me feel as if I was really important and I had a really good skill and I was valuable. Isn't that fascinating how that happens? Like how we do that? We, we attract. Ouchie. Fascinating. We attract, ouchie. We tra attract these people that, you know, for whatever reason, our trauma or whatever we went through, we, we seem to just somehow, or our, our, our mom, or we tracked like the tendencies that our dad had or whatever, you know, in the, it's, um, it's, and, and this is why it's so interesting as I go on this journey is to learn about the mind and psychology and why we do the things we do. You know, why do we, why do we attract the people we attract? Like, why do we gravitate towards those things? And yeah, it's in hearing that it's, it's fascinating. So how, how did you, what about now? So are you still, do you find yourself still dancing with the attracted to chaos or have you been able to quiet the noise more now? Can I turn this into a long answer? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so what I love about this is um, whether you're spiritual or scientific, spiritual people would say it's unconscious or that you're not awake. And like science is just that our brains are pattern making machines. We cannot accept all the inputs. So we create programs 
Our brain creates programs to understand the world and they will run automatically for us. It's a gift really Mm. until that program that we're running rocks our world. And that's our opportunity to wake up or disrupt the program. We can say, thank you very much. You like brain, you figured out at the age of five that love looks this way. And this is what a romantic relationship looks like. And so you're just sliding me into the same thing. I know you meant well, that's a program that's really fucking me up. So let's rewrite it. Like I'm going to delete that. I'm going to install a new program. If it was that easy, it would be great. And I feel like in the spiritual world, we'd call that an awakening where we say, I'm I'm tired of the old program, Mm -hmm. but it's run so many times and it starts, it's like, it starts when you start up, like when you wake up, that program's running on your computer and it's not so easy to like remove it. So you really have to replace it with something better. Um, So I think for me, it's been a real process of replacing that programming where that feels comfortable. So it took quite a bit of time for me to first like notice chaos. I didn't notice chaos. It wasn't that I chose chaos. I was like, well, this feels comfortable. And then six months in, I'd be like, holy shit. Like I'm in the middle of a tornado. How did this happen? It's because I just kind of slide in and be like, oh, I love the wind. It feels so good. There's electricity in the air. This is amazing. It's a tornado, Claire. You like tornadoes because that's where you live for so long, right? Uh, Or like that's five-year-old you saying like, oh, this is good. I know this. I feel safe because it's known. And it's just my brain trying to protect myself, trying to like sometimes even be lazy. Like I don't want to learn a new program. Let's be lazy. I know how to function in a dysfunctional relationship and it fucks up every single time, but it's, it doesn't require as much energy as changing my relational patterns does Mm. make sense. So I think that for me, um, I have made progress and part of it is just being aware of that attraction to chaos. And I honestly, for quite a bit of time, just whenever I felt an attraction to a person to say, wait a second, hold on. You need to like, look around the landscape just insert like for me even just inserting the pause of like we know this feeling it feels good to be in love but 99.99 percent of the time that has not actually been love it's been chaos and it's exciting Mm -hmm. for you so let's just take a moment get a lay of the land right and inserting that practice helped a little bit i can't say that i didn't fall into chaos again because it's you know comfortable and delightful and very thrilling but um i have you know, slowly shifted to a place where chaos doesn't feel good. And by not being in chaos, I notice it now. And shifting my own like energetic signature away from internal chaos, away from chaos in my home. I now notice the chaos because it's different from where I live. And I can say no to it with much, you know, with more grace. That was great. That was so well said. It's, yeah, it's those programs that we just get so used to. And it's challenging to, to fix those, prog- but those programs. But just like knowing that what is happening is, is the first step. A lot of people don't even realize it. And, uh, yeah. and that's just the first step. To <laughs> realize Can it. I share something and go of off course. on a tangent? Because yeah, of this course. is really new, but I'm so excited about it. And it's about programming too. Yeah. Is, you know, there is, I think, it's super helpful to know what your programs are. But something that's really been true for me is that that's really not enough. Like, the program can tell you the things to watch out for. It's a bit, it's a bit like, well, what are your red flags? These are red flags. But 
you'll still hop, skip, and jump down a path lined with red flags if you don't have an alternate solution. And one of the most powerful sort of meditative pieces and just frameworks of the world is the idea is you can't let it go. You have to replace it with something better, right? You can't stop dating an alcoholic. If your type is an alcoholic, you're not going to stop dating alcoholics unless you create a vision for somebody that's better and believe that you deserve it because you want to be loved. We all want to be seen. We all want to have these relationships. You can't, for me, this is what came up recently is I struggle with clutter. Like I need house cleaners. I just have a pile of things on my desk at all times and I would try to clean it up. And what would happen is because I didn't have a vision of what the space should look like, I would get totally bogged down in all the things. I would just look at them, feel bad about the fact that they were still on the desk, but I wouldn't know what to do with them. And I wouldn't know what the desk is supposed to look like. So it would literally take like a pile and then rearrange it into two piles and then rearrange that pile onto the pile. And I would be working all day at cleaning my desk and it would still be covered with clutter because I was focusing on each little piece, not understanding. And this is so new for me, but it's, so far had at least one big impact is the other day I was looking at my living room, which was like covered with laundry and kid toys. And I was starting in that shame cycle where each little piece was sending me into that energetic signature of shame and you're not enough and you can't do this and blah, blah, blah. And I stopped and I closed my eyes and I opened and I looked around at the living room and I really envisioned the way that I wanted the space to feel. And I wanted um, it to look. And from there, instead of seeing each little piece of clutter as like a shame spiral and I'm just shifting them around, I could look at the desk and say, that's not what the desk looks like. <laughs> done. It's super easy. I'm done with that attachment. I'm not in that energetic cycle because I'm attracting the energy of the clean desk, which I have a super clean vision of. And I feel like that's a small metaphor, but that it's kind of a bit of like what I've done with my interpersonal relationships. And currently I'm still single, but I'm getting much better at dating. Right. So for me, having that clear vision of like a lovely person who treats me nicely and then I can say no. Whereas before I'd say, oh, I feel bad not liking you. Now it's like, oh, it's nothing against you. It's just not my vision. Mm. We're not a good match. God, you know, blessings to you. Right. Mm. Yeah, I. That's so important. The simple things like that, that clutter up everything in our lives like just what you were talking about with having your desk and and really that amount of clutter can literally like fuck up your whole thing like sometimes the simplest little things that you're looking at that even when it comes to procrastinating the simplest shit is like what messes with you the most and if you just take care of it in in some form or another and this may be a little bit different than what you're saying but like it just this this just came to me that there's so many things in my life that the littlest things. And I'm like, why don't I just take care of that? I don't know why it's really bothering me. And it just, it keeps, keeps happening, but I don't take care of it. And it's like, why is that? Why? Like, what is the reason for, you know, and I'm the same, the clutter of the desk and the, 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 the dishes and the, and this stuff. But every time I know when everything's clean, the environment's clean, I thrive. I'm like, Oh, it's so nice to have a clean place yet it ends up being like that again. And it just, it fascinates me why that is. Like why? Can I, why? Can yes, I respond? Yes, yes, because this is super so interesting. This, this is my, yeah, this is my experience. Those piles of clutter are bad feelings. 
I don't handle it because I'm connecting to the bad feeling of feeling like I'm irresponsible because I didn't pay that bill or that I am sloppy because there's a plate on my desk that I left there yesterday, even if it's just crackers, like I'm not a good person. So all of those little things that I avoid doing, I'm just avoiding that low grade feeling of being shitty and critical of myself, which is why, at least for me, taking a minute to like, let's say you're procrastinating with mail or looking at your accounts, instead of going through it in this like granular task oriented list, which are all reminders of your own incompetencies and laziness, <laughs> really envision, like take that vision of your bank account with lots of money in it and being balanced and all of the ease of being like, and feel into that place of this is taken care of. Mm. And then it stops, each of those tasks stops being commentary on your value and starts to be something that you take care of to build something really beautiful that feels amazing. So I've just shifted my clutter, which was like a shame pile into something of like, oh, I'm building this beautiful art project. I'm creating a vision of my amazing desk space and I'm changing and I am shifting these little pieces mm -hmm. to get there. And they don't have that meaning to me anymore. I'm not looking at them at shame. I'm like, okay, how can I work you to get to my goal? That's so, yeah, it's useful because I think everybody goes through these things on a daily basis, but we don't talk about them. You know, yeah. it's like the littlest things. It's like Seinfeld episodes. You know, the Seinfeld episodes, there's always these things they talk about, the most obvious things, but you're like, oh shit, I go through that too. And it's the thing, it's addressing the obvious things that, don't get addressed yet we all think about yeah i mean how i bet you if i started a support group for people that get like anxiety from opening mail oh my it God. would be like a hundred thousand people overnight seriously right? or like the the random texts or answering the 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 phone call with no number on it <laughs> like <laughs> right or or like somebody that you like is facetiming you and you don't know why or your boss says to you we need to talk. Yeah. And you're like, wait, about what? Like, are you, and they, like, you don't know, you could be getting a raise, but just like, yo, we need to talk. It's like, oh, it's yeah. like, ugh, this terrible feeling. Yeah. And like so much of our life is made up of those experiences. Like every day I have to open mail. I have to take Man. a shower. I should sweep every day. And I hate it because I have this idea that because I don't sweep every day, I'm a bad person and I'm not worthy of love. So it's like really deep yeah. psychology. Um, there's a book called Don't Just Sit There by one of my favorite teachers, Biet Simkin. And it's like these laws of the universe. And it's a, it's a bit, how should I put it? It's really fascinating. And it's basically like universal laws that will mess you up unless you figure out how to get over them. And one of them that's super important that I really love that it is important enough to be a main law in this book is like the, the law of householding. And it's just this idea that you will be buried by the daily nitty gritty of life until you learn how to turn that into a joyful spiritual practice. And it sounds ridiculous, but if you are creating um, a clean, highly energized bank account, then opening your mail can be like a prayer. Mm, yeah. And that's a shift. It's just a shift. Totally. Like this is, this is, this is my tithe to my higher goal and to my higher purpose and to living in that energetic signature of joyfulness and bliss. Mm. Even if it's a gnarly bill, like that's like, okay, I guess I got to do some penance today. 
but I'm going yeah. to do this because I'm committed and dedicated to living a life where that experience is my daily experience. You can also switch it as well and be grateful for the bill because the bill served you with the thing that you're getting that you're paying for too. Yeah, like, thank, right. Thank, I guess. thank you for this because although it is a, a pricey bill, I've you know I've been able to have electricity and I've been able to do all these things. So I love my like, air conditioning in the yeah. summer in Phoenix. I'm so joyful that I get to pay for it because I'd be melted. Yeah, what I love I, that. I I did a little poll on my Instagram about things people wanted me to ask or change on my show, and one thing I wanted to ask you is about a book. So I never asked this to people, but I probably should. Like, what is one people want to know about books more? And I know we have a lot in our community, but if you had to gift one book to somebody, what book would that be right now? Okay. This is speaking to my, the artist inside me. It's my favorite book. Um, and I can go get it if you want to go on a little trip to my book room, but um, it's called The Dot and the Line by Norton Jester. It's a children's book. It's about a line who falls in love with a dot and um, the dots only in love with a squiggle. The squiggle is like wild and free. The dot is super uptight and rigid. There's a, sorry, the line is uptight and the rigid and the dot is just the dot. But at least for me, it's a, not only is it a really beautiful love story, but I love the characters as representations almost of like, I can't remember all of them. It's the ego, the id and something else but the story arc is that the line falls madly in love with the dot she likes the squiggle the squiggle's kind of a mess but he's exciting so the line through discipline learns how to make shapes and then he learns how to make really gorgeous complex shapes and he takes her off and he shows her like all of these 30-sided parallelograms and like waves and artistic expressions and she's completely blown away and she looks at the squiggle and I think the line is what she had thought was freedom and joy was anarchy and sloth and for me that's like a really interesting personal development reflection of um you know discipline as being the greatest form of self-love where the things that we know, like that feel good, we're all loose. Sometimes that's just being a squiggle. It looks cool, it's exciting, but then you look over, like what, what could you create if you were disciplined? What sort of amazing dimensions could you expand into if you were using that like power of love to really go into like your own creative depths? Because the line was kind of doing it for the dot, but he also just really needed to like find that self-confidence and to get that self-confidence, he turned it into this incredible artist. Um, so there's the line in the swiggle. And the other thing that I really love is honestly, I didn't like the dot for a long time. I thought she was kind of like a ditzy character. Like what's so great about a dot. And sometimes now I think that for me anyways, the dot is the true hero of the story because she never questions her value. She never questions why the line and the squiggle love her. She just goes for the thing that she knows is truth as soon as she can. Mm -hmm. So the line, it's like she gets a chance. She's like, oh, I'm going to have fun. This is beautiful. And then the line comes. She said, oh, okay. I didn't know. You're better. Let's go. And like, it seems shallow, but to have that level of self-confidence and to switch that quickly, 
that's like my own personal work is just to say i'm a dot you can be a line you can impress me and absolutely like prove it and i'm at, like no doubt in my mind that there's value and i feel like all all of us really in this culture could benefit from a little bit more of the dot that's beautiful like i, I love that so much honestly <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a copy i had like, like a i had like, like this a, big i had like one of those moments i was like oh shit like what i liked about that is is the discipline aspect is that if it comes from love like what you can create in being disciplined and that's kind of what i'm figuring out in my life where i've lacked is that and it's actually it's yeah i think yeah if we actually it is a self it is a self-love practice because you, you know, you really take yourself seriously. And when you take yourself seriously, if you have a strong why that you want to impact as many people or whatever it is you're doing, well, then it doesn't become like a drill sergeant kind of atmosphere. It's like, well, I need to be disciplined so that I can be the best serve. I can serve people the best way, right? And discipline is the way that I'm going to be able to become that. And sometimes we think, Oh yeah, that's don't be don't be hard on yourself when it comes to that, which is fine. You don't want to like heat on yourself, but you also need a certain amount of assertiveness and discipline because your greater purpose depends on it. Right? Yeah, I think that it's like level 1 and level 2 self-love, yeah. right? Level 1 self-love is saying like I'm allowed to be messy. And level 2 self-love is even though I am allowed to be messy, I love myself so much that I am going to keep my promises that I make to myself and I am going to take care of my body and I'm going to take care of my business. Like my, you know, I'm going to take care of my shit and I'm going to dedicate every day into cleaning it up because I care a lot about myself and I love myself. And I think that what I'm doing is important and I believe that I'm valuable and I believe that my work is valuable and I believe that my body is beautiful and it's valuable. So discipline can really be devotion. I think again to get spiritual, but it can, but I think you have to go through the phase where you're like, okay, I don't have to be perfect. And then discipline isn't about perfection. It's just that practice. Um, there's that idea too, that meditation, it's not the meditation. That's the medicine. It's the repetition of meditation. That's the medicine discipline in some ways is that same thing. It's that constant reminder to yourself that you value yourself and that you value your goals and that you value the vision of who you want to become. So true. One of the little things that I do now, second nature, is make my bed. And it used to be something I never did. But I don't even think about it now. It's crazy. I get out and I make it. And, and I, it's kind of a small little win. It's a small win. Tim Ferriss talks about this. I've talked about it lots of times. It's like... I've thought about it a lot. You just do it. You just do it. And it's like, it. oh, shit. All right. It looks all right. Now what? Like, what's up? Like, what am I going to do now? Like... It's, it's, it's good. It's, it's such a weird little thing, but now I don't think about it half. Like it's like become second nature, which is kind of what meditation has evolved um, into, but like, it's still not yeah. to the point where it's like, there's still days where I'm like, I don't feel like it, but then I do it and I'm like, I'm glad I did it. <laughs> you know? It reminds me too of like, the, you know, if you're rewiring those pathways. So at first it requires energy to, mm -hmm. to shift. So yeah. my, my dad's a psychologist. He's got a lot of years and he'll say something like, you've been going down the same road for 30 years 
and you want to go a different way, but it's a jungle. So the first bit, you're hacking a pathway through like tall weeds and bushes and you go back and you still are hacking it. But if you just remember to stop taking the road, you always take and you walk that path and then you take your car through the path. That path becomes just as broad as the original road and it will grow over and it's possible. And mm. it's taking a harder path until it becomes easier and letting the old one grow over. Um, yeah. And what I think about with that bed thing, I love it. And I feel like it's one of those disciplined things too, where in some ways, at least for me in my mind, which maybe we can check in in a month and see how I'm doing. It's also creating that energy of like that vision of clarity and cleanliness and openness for your life. So you can make your bed and have that be that meditative drop in to mm-hmm. that expansive experience of like, you're open to change. You're open to whatever happens. There's not all of this clutter in your bed. Can you bring that into your desk? Can you bring that into your kitchen counters? Can you bring that into your business? Can you bring that into your heart? Totally. And it's a great feeling because when you go in there, you actually see an accomplishment. You're like, oh, the bed's clear. Okay, that kind of feels good. I can do it. It's weird yeah. how, how we just, we, the little rewards that we have throughout the day. Like, but that's what builds the confidence in us, right? And yeah, yeah wow, super interesting stuff. I, um, you know, I, I love that. Oh, I, I was going to drop in with, yeah. with one more thing that I think yeah. is super interesting. I'm learning. Um, it's, I'm in a coaching problem, program that's for addiction. Mm. And it is to help people sort of choose their own recovery options. But one of the things that came up recently in one of the instructor calls is the idea that if your client is really struggling and they're not ready to do some sort of work on, you know, traumatic experience or their mind, just having a call about, building a skill can be very successful. So if you can't help anybody with their original problems, if you can get them to gain one small skill a week, like making their bed, that compound effect of all of those skills and all of the self-confidence can actually shift all of the stuff that they can't work on directly. Yeah, that's actually, you brought up compound effect. That has, that's such a good book too. If any of you guys haven't read that or listened to it on um, audiobook, it's amazing. It's like the simplest things compounded over time is what makes the things. Because a lot of times we, we look at this big project or we look at it as such a daunting task, but it's not ever done in a big way. It's always the small things and the small things just add up and it becomes the big thing. Like you literally just break it all down into pieces and then it just compounds. It's the same with like dieting. It's the same, you know, you want to lose weight. It's like that small choice, that small thing is what the, is what's adding up. So even myself saying this, I'm like, you know, trying to lean out or whatever the choices I make that I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, yeah, it does. If I want to achieve that, this is the, the piece with the other piece that's adding up. And if you keep saying it doesn't matter, then what do you have? All you have is the small pieces. You know, I think it's like, that's like the tricky balance of, I think it doesn't matter is really important in terms of continual self-forgiveness so that you can do it again the next time. Mm -hmm. So there's that piece of like, I feel like for me, I can, it doesn't matter. And then I can be lazy about it, but I also really do need to like, if I'm doing well and I'm intentional and I fuck it up, it doesn't matter is really helpful. So just yeah. like where in the arc you are. Totally. Um, one of our former fit for service members, Pat Dibley, he's a really great coach based in Ireland. He's got a podcast and everything also. I'll, 
I don't want to say this is his whole program, but a huge part of what he says all the time is just 1% better every day. It's a tiny yeah. little bit and the compound effect is bananas. Yeah. If you had to give everybody one takeaway and you had to talk about one lesson that adversity has taught you, what would it be? It would be that accepting responsibility for everything in your life is the greatest freedom. So, and I mean, really like the car accident, the divorce, the, all of those terrible things. Um, it's a very woo woo phrase to say, Oh, it happened for a reason. Right. Or, you know, like you called it in, it's your soul contract. But I think what's misunderstood is that's not, we don't say that to place blame. We say that because, or like, you know, you had terrible con you had terrible parents because you came in this lifetime to learn that lesson. It's not to say that you're not worthy and that you called it in, but, by saying, I chose my parents to learn this lesson as my soul contract, that is a way to exert power over your experience by accepting responsibility and saying, given that I chose that, what can I do with my experience? So it's just a mind trick. Like, who cares if you really chose to have terrible parents in this lifetime? But saying, I chose that, and I am going to look at these lessons and see where I can grow. That radical responsibility for everything that happens to you. Maybe you are disabled and you got into a you know you got a car accident in your wheelchair. If you say that's somehow that was fated, it gives you the ability to be responsible and to move forward with much deeper power than I think it's Joe Dispenza says that like the greatest sin or the lowest vibration energy is to wish that things aren't the way that they are. Right. Mm. So it's just being able to shift out of that. And I'm working on it. I was a really big martyr and a victim for a long time. But I think that that, that saying like, this is absolutely my responsibility. And I get to be creative and excited about how I'm going to change it. Because I believe if it's my responsibility, then I can change it. Mm. So well said. And yeah, I mean, you got to be grateful for the good and the bad or bad as being yeah. like the thing that may seem like a challenge or the adversity, but it's the gift. <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I go into this brief yeah. explanation? I don't want to be yeah. too long. So no. for me, the real, the real, for me, the real momentous moment of realizing this was, you know, in my divorce, I gave up my friends. I moved from LA. I came to Phoenix to be with my husband. I, you know, we had a lot of problems and I was like, and I stuck it out and you're leaving me and fuck you. And I was so angry and I felt like such a martyr. Like I had been there and I had saved the kid and all of these stories about how he was fucking me over and he wasn't enough of a giver. And once I said, once I really sat down and I said, Claire, you chose that. Why did you choose that? But you chose that repeatedly. You chose that experience. You had a lot of opportunities where you could have left, but you repeatedly like doubled and tripled down on something that wasn't going well. Being responsible for making that choice for myself gave me so much freedom because I have control over myself. I will never have control over my ex-husband and I wanted him to change so badly. Mm. But now I have power in my life and I took my power back by saying, you chose that, Claire. He is who he is and it has nothing to do with you, but you repeatedly chose the situation that was bad for you and that left you in this state. So you need to change, not him. Mm. So important. So much, so many bombs being dropped here. <laughs> 
I got my ass kicked. I hope I have some bombs. I love it. You got a lot of amazing insight and you know, it's, it's great. And I'm just so grateful to have connected with you because you do have a ton of amazing insight into this stuff and the way you deliver it. And, you know, just from getting to know you is you're, it's very, it's like a soft way, but it's, it's easy for people to absorb what you're saying because of your delivery. You know, even for me listening, it's, it's, it's great. So you have a gift. I'm sure you've been told that before. (laughs) Thanks. And it's not economics or business. (laughs) Uh, where can we find you? Where's the best place? What are you working on that we can check out and look forward to looking at? Um, I think right now my Instagram is a really fun, creative experience with selfies. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the best way. I'll probably originate all of my work from there. But it's currently, a, it's actually a project because I looked at myself one day and I got really upset with my eyes because I felt like they were getting old. and um, I had a realization maybe a month later that if I look at my body in terms of comparing it to what I think it should be in order to be pretty by the world, then I'm really fucked. Mm. If I look at my body as an 80 year old self, I would be so grateful to be so hot and I would like give anything to have this body back. And if I look at my body as an art project that is like an experience of time on a human meat suit, it's really cool no matter what now and when I'm 80. So I started doing this selfie project as like an exploration just to remind myself daily that like this body is an art project. It's cool. It's fun. Like no matter, like if it's saggy or fat, it's cool art. Um, so I want people to go look at that and then I'll, you know, as my life changes and as I change and shift, then, um, I'll post there. And if people are inspired, we'll see. Maybe this is the impetus I need when the publication date is. But I would really love to see other people start to share their selfies as well. Just their face, you know? Remembering. It's dope. I love that whole thing. I'm glad you explained that because that gives a lot of insight into it. And something went off when you said that. When your 80-year-old self would be so grateful to look like that, you know? You got to have that mentality in everything. If you can have that gratitude, if you can switch the fucking perspective and look at everything like that, man, that's, that's the key. That's the secret. Yeah. Seeing the other the, side of the seeing secret. The gratitude in yeah. everything. I was going to say the other side of the secret is that like 15 year old me like thinks that I have saggy eyes and saggy boobs, but I don't know a single 15 year old that's not like basically an asshole. So I'm not going to listen to her. I'm going to listen to 80 year old me. (laughs) Oh man, I love it. This was so great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate (laughs) you, Lance. This is super fun for me. It's such a pleasure for my brain to nerd out and go deep on these weird random subjects. I know. And I've been saying, I, I want to have one day, I want to have like an, an in-person one that I have a longer content, longer format, like the Joe Rogan style. Cause like I, these conversations just get started and I'm like, holy shit. Like I want to talk for like another two hours, <laughs> but yeah, thank you again. And I encourage everybody, you guys make sure to check out Claire. We'll have all the information in the show notes and yeah this this was this was awesome that's claire e spencer with two e's in the instagram i'll say it out loud c-l-a-i-r-e-e-s-p-e-n-c-e-r in america that's two mall stores this is claire's Mm. boutique and spencer's gifts with the e in the middle spelled exactly the same way 
Perfect. My team will make sure that it's, uh, it's all in there so we can find you. <laughs> I'll talk Thank to you soon, Lance. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Make sure to check out Claire. Follow her Instagram. And if you haven't already, smash that subscribe button and take us in a story on uh, Instagram if you can. Let us know what you, your number one takeaway was. I always love to see those guys pop up in the Instagram and I'll always share them as well. So much love, guys. Stay safe. Bye.